Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is over. If we don't get some cool rules ourselves, pronto, we'll just be bogus too, get it? Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud, let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries before their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson, <laughs> a man with a mission. Oh, gnarly. Linda Barrett, not exactly the girl next door. Awesome. Totally awesome. And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on lewds should not drive. Uh, what season is it, Andy? Wow, Pete. It is our 11th season. 10th anniversary, 11th season of this show. Huzzah. We've gone from posting just one meager podcast episode a week called Movies We Like to posting 300 episodes a week across various <laughs> and sundry next real family of podcast entertainment nuggets. Uh, it, it is a real mountain <laughs> that we have climbed here. Uh, and ha- we are honoring our 10th anniversary series this year uh, with some... Uh, I think some just fantastic movies, most of which I haven't seen. Right. I, I think that's a fair thing to say for me, too. I think when we added up all 48 movies that we're going to be talking about over the course of this whole season, I think I had seen 16 of them. So uh, a lot of this is going to be new territory for both of us. And I'm I'm really excited because there's a lot of things that look really uh, interesting to me. I think so, too. I'm really excited about all these movies. I have seen uh, the movies in our first series, however, the series that we're kicking off with. This is 80s comedy movies. It's specifically 80s comedy with Heckerling and Coolidge. Hey, that's right. It's uh, that's right. It sounds like a uh, like an afternoon talk show. It was actually 80s comedy with Coolidge and Heckerling, I think, is the way we worded yeah. it. But Coolidge, Heckerling and comedy. Associates and associates at law. <laughs> Coolidge, Heckerling, and comedy associates. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think they would ESQ. both appreciate <laughs> appreciate this. <laughs> It'll never get old. Now I want to create a shirt that yep. has Coolidge, Heckerling, and Associates as a law firm. Yes, like, as as kind of a tie-in to this because uh, <sighs> I mean, who doesn't want that? I have just the font. Oh, let's mm, do it. Make a note. Uh, we are kicking off uh, today with Fast Times. At Ridgemont High, 1982, uh, iconic teen sex romp. I'm glad we're opening with this movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I feel like we bring to it our respective baggage. <laughs> we're going to bring some baggage. Well, and, and for this whole series, I think certainly that's going to be the case. Like, I'm curious to see what we both say about that, because we're going to do Fast Times, Valley Girl, which is uh, Coolidge's film. Johnny Dangerously, going back to Heckerling, Real Genius, back to Coolidge, and ending with Look Who's Talking, back to Heckerling. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's going to be some interesting 80s baggage we're both bringing to this. I think in many ways, these two uh, directors defined for me, and I'm curious about you, but defined a lot of the comedy that I wanted in the Mm -hmm. 80s. 
weirdly, it's probably not the movies that you think <laughs> of uh, from this lineup, but I do think that there's a lot of stuff in here that they were doing at this time, and I, I really enjoy. Are, you're saying there are movies uh, in here that I would not anticipate are the movies that you wanted from your 80s comedy? Let's just say Johnny Dangerously might be the one on this list that I loved <laughs> at the time more than anything else on this list. <laughs> That's a riot. I, I, and I'm is, curious to revisit it yeah. because I want to see how it holds up because, boy, did I love that movie. Very curious. I feel like that movie had, well, I mean, it just had some some nods to just physical and visual comedy that I feel like I really connected to at the time. And uh, I wonder, I wonder if it holds up. For for Fast Times, however, um, I, I my rewatch of this movie, I find it overrated. But this is the thing. It's got an incredible cast of young actors. They all went on to do uh, better things, and I think it keeps this movie alive. But for me personally, as much as I watch it now and I understand the critics, how the critics find it rough in, in many ways, it has such a soft spot in my heart because this is one of those movies that I wanted to see so badly. I mean, I was like, what, nine or ten when this came out, and I couldn't see it for a number of years. Like, I, everything I could do. I did everything to try to sneak out and see this movie and finally <laughs> saw it on, on uh, videotape uh, some years later. And I felt like a triumph to the point where I think I, I don't even know if I watched the movie for the movie because I was a dumb kid. I just watched it because it was scandalous. So scandalous. And uh, so it, it has a real soft spot in my heart because this is a movie I like to feel like uh, I won. I won with this movie eventually. See, you were you were so much cooler than me as a kid. I was very much uh, a very prudish type of kid, and I would never have even I, I doubt I even knew what this movie was because it was just not in the wheelhouse of the sort of things that I was looking for or conversations I was even having with me and my all of my nerdy friends. Like it, it was like, you know, I was too busy, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever else I was doing at that age. Mm hmm totally missed this whole thing and i think that i caught some of the tv version at some point but i never saw the whole thing and it wasn't until college that i actually finally said you know i should watch this movie it's been talked about often enough and i don't think that i clicked with it as much then as weirdly i did now so for me <laughs> this film has done nothing but improve with age so i i come into this really liking this movie. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is going to be fantastic. For me, I yes. had a guy uh, who, uh, my babysitter when I was a kid, uh, was a guy by the name of Tony Marzavis. The whole Marzavis family, is, they were all <laughs> older than me and they took turns babysitting. But Tony Marzavis, would come over and he would tell me about this movie, much like a bedtime story. It was it was like you can imagine me in The Princess Bride, like, oh, is this a kissing movie? And he would come over and say, I'm going to tell you about sex now, uh, as told through Fast Times <laughs> at Richmond High, because he was like 18 and this was his life. He was Mike Damone. I was my babysitter was Mike Damone is what I'm telling you. And so that's how I learned about this movie. And so it was it, like I ran the gauntlet to see this movie. Uh, I can't wait to hear why you love it so much. Well, uh, I can't wait to talk about it more. Before we do, uh, this movie was rated R uh, when it came out. According to commonsensemedia.org, it's because it is a teen movie full of sex, drugs, and misbehavior. And our conversation will be covering all of that. 
Want to watch this movie and help us out? If you see an Apple or Amazon link to it in our show notes, you can click on it, which will take you to their site where you can rent or buy the movie. And when you do this, we get a little bit in return. Win-win. We're also up in our game in the merch store, everybody. We've got new products for every series this season. You can check it out at truestory.fm slash merch. You can get shirts and stickers and mugs and masks and pillows. Pillows? Pillows. With everything that we're coming up with, uh, we've got the new Next Reel vintage classic original logo, both light on dark and dark on light, is available now as well. Get it while you can. Don't forget to subscribe to all your favorite shows in their own individual feeds. We're moving out all of the shows into their own feeds. So if you want to hear Trailer Rewind or the Film Board, go into your podcatcher of choice and make sure you're subscribing to them individually. That will help us all out as we start migrating all of the shows out from the Next Reel umbrella. Everybody knows podcasts are better when they have homework. Don't you think? We are going to start featuring audio reviews from you. All you have to do is email your 30-second audio clip to reviews at truestory.fm as soon as you watch the film. And we might just showcase your voice in the show. Get to them quickly, though, because we record early. So the sooner you get your clip in, the more likely it'll end up in the podcast. Again, reviews at truestory.fm. And that's for any movie that we're talking about this season. And you can find the full season lineup over in our Letterboxd HQ. And if you are a fan of Letterboxd, you can get a discount on your pro or patron membership. Go to thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd. It'll take you right to their page and you can get 20% off. And it works for renewals as well. Hey, I have to tell you, we were approached over our July break by a, a number of potential advertising partners that were asking for us to start embedding their ads in our shows. And they were offering us money to do that. But at what cost? At what cost? The cost is, frankly, your privacy. The tools and technologies that they were offering to allow us to do this and were paying us, offering to pay us to do this, uh, would be a, a pretty robust privacy violation, and we didn't care for it. And so we don't do that. We don't sell your information. We do uh, uh, we do the things that we think are important to help grow this community and support our time and effort as a giant team, uh, and we could use your help. So... Here's how you can do that. We actually have two membership tiers. You can become a one reeler or you can become a two reeler. One reelers get to vote on our weekly Saturday matinee polls to choose the list topic based on the movie we're talking about each week. If you were already a member, you could have already voted on the list topic for Fast Times at Richmond High already. And if you're looking for more, consider joining at the two reeler tier. Two reelers get early access to every episode, and they also get so many bonus episodes. Seriously, it is kind of ridiculous how many bonus episodes we are now releasing. There is a monthly member bonus episode that fills in a gap from one of our series. There's the monthly flick chart re-ranking episode where Andy tries to Shanghai my feelings about <laughs> 2001. And all I want to do is get more prints on the list. And uh, this season, we're adding this new members only episode at the end of each series. Members get a series finale that we're calling Retake, where we go through what we've gleaned from the films in that series. Members also get to vote on what we're going to be talking about in those member bonus episodes. But wait, there's more. Members can watch the live streams as we record our shows and even access the live streams from previous shows anytime they want. 
Members get extra super secret members only channels in Discord. And now members also get stickers. That's right. You sign up. We're going to mail you a couple of stickers from our merch store. Just another way of us saying thanks for your support. Just head to truestory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about these membership tiers. Membership at the two Reeler tier costs $5 a month or $55 a year. And membership at the one Reeler tier costs $1 a month or $12 a year. It's hardly a dent and it means so much to us. So thanks. All right, Andy. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, based on the book by Cameron Crowe, which I have not read. I haven't either. I know. It's it's funny because this is a film I think I always forget is based on a book until I go into the film again and go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Cameron Crowe wrote a book on that. Here I am again, watching it again. Oh, the exact same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> The the thing about Cameron, if I can just, if if I may, just as we start here, Cameron Crowe was born in 1957, right? Sure. Which means he was probably in high school in, uh, what do you think, uh, 57, well, 67? He would have been. Remember, he finished, because... Uh, uh, oh, you know, he did, he skipped he out of high school. out of school, and he yeah. went on the road writing rock articles with all these bands. That was the As whole told thing and with... almost famous. Oh, exactly. That was kind of his, his upbringing. And after all of that, and my understanding is, a little bit after he would have otherwise been in high school, so, as you said, what would that have been? 70... Yeah, 75, I mean, 6, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there. In there. That's when he actually. <laughs> this is what is quote, so funny. Went back. He went back to high school, but he didn't go back to high school. He went undercover to high school. He went undercover. He's a teenager, and he went back to high school undercover as a high school student when he was really just just been going to high school. Cameron, <laughs> yeah. just finished the job. Anyway, I thought that was really funny. He wrote this book, and uh, it does, in fact, tell the story of um, Stacey Hamilton and Mike Damone and Linda Barrett and uh, Mark Ratner and uh, peripherally uh, Brad Hamilton, Jeff Spicoli, uh, and uh, and team. And it is this story of kids wandering through the world, learning stuff that is complicated with no adult role models that they can count on. I mean, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Either the adult role models just aren't great role models or they're non-existent. And I thought that was actually a really interesting element of the film and presumably of the book. It's not that the adults don't care. It's just that we're looking at this world from the perspective of these teenagers and in their world, that is their world. It is the world of the teenager. And mm-hmm. these other outside influences are not really part of their world. I mean, yes, they're influences, but it's not their world. And I thought that was an interesting way to kind of do this. I mean, you never even see a parent except for the one time when Stacy's mom comes in and, and says goodnight and then leaves. That's the only time you see a parent in the whole film. Otherwise, it's these kids dealing with all of this the stuff that seems otherwise relatively grown up. 
even there, you know, the managers at the stores, I think we see through Brad, you know, yeah. uh, Judge Reinhold, he's like, even his boss is effectively just a few years older than he is, right? I mean, it is, it's a, it's a, an entire universe. In, in terms of world building, it is a world in which kids lead kids. And that, that is one of the things that, that I, I think can make this movie interesting. It's like trolls if all the kids are trolls and they never see anybody else. That's what it felt like to me. It's such an insular <laughs> universe. Metaphor. Like these, this universe is so, I don't know why trolls get to me. That's ridiculous. Um, it's like Mrs. Brisby and the rats of Nim. And let me tell you why. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, but, but it really, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things it's a, it's one of those sort of fishbowl movies. Right. And, and, uh, uh I think it's, I think it's interesting in in that regard. Uh, you know, now what goes on in the fishbowl? It's mostly everybody wants to have sex with everything. Well, it, it, there's sex, there's employment, there's uh, drugs, there's you know just there's a lot of these sorts of things. There's there's you know friendships getting made and breaking. Like there are a lot of things that for me, like that's why this works because it's these kids who are in these situations that feel to a certain extent much more grown up than they are and and Amy Heckerling says it in in the commentary she's it's in the title fast times these kids like everything is going so fast and these kids are being thrust into it and they're just not ready for it i i i think that that's a really interesting kind of perspective to take on this where you have all of these youths trying to figure out like you know what is it with sex and this whole thing with sex and and the whole idea of like work and employment and and how to do that and and seeing kind of the the journey that Brad takes over the course of his his uh three jobs that we see him at in the film and uh, just and like the friendship between Rat and Damone and and kind of the way that that kind of gets broken because Damone ends up uh you know having sex with Stacy who Rat is totally infatuated with and the way that Linda is like always talking to Stacy about I mean Linda's that 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 older girl who's always dating even older guys like college guys that you never ever see and she's always talking about sex in a ways that you're like hmm have you actually had sex I'm not <laughs> actually sure because like you're not sure if you've ever orgasmed you're not sure you know you know what's actually happened in the in the context of sex like how long does it take him to to orgasm like these these things in your conversation <laughs> that I'm like I don't know if Linda's ever had it, but she talks big and it convinces Stacy that, oh, I need to do it, you know, and, 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 you know, and Linda's saying, oh, I started when I was 13. There's nothing to it. And, and like all of these conversations, just, I don't know, it, it just seemed so authentic. And I, I just, I, I felt like it was these kids like trying to figure this stuff out. And then of course, everything with Spicoli. And I mean, he's hilarious. I love Sean Penn in this role he just totally owned the role but also i don't know i i felt like there was this kind of sadness in in kind of his story arc because it's like he's totally a stoner he wants to he has these dreams of being this ma a major surfer and uh, but it's like even with the end titles that you get at the end talking about him it's like this is a person who's probably going to go nowhere and if he goes anywhere, it's going to be a downward spiral of drugs and addiction. <laughs> like, it's like, there's some heavy stuff going on in this. Like, the whole thing with the abortion, like, I just, I felt like there's a lot, this movie almost felt like it was really punching above its weight, because they were really trying to, to point out, like, the complexities of adult decisions 
in this world of of high school students. Yeah, and I think that's where what works for you doesn't work as well for me. Uh, that I am I'm challenged by the fact that this is a movie of B stories. Like there's no one in here that I would say of all of these stories is the the principal story. I guess it it would be Stacy, but I think we we spend as much time with her as we do with you know with some of these other people, and so uh, because it keeps bouncing around between these stories, I I feel like this is a movie that wanders through this universe, and th- that's fine, you know, insofar as an exploration of you know kids and their their the complexities of their struggles in the eighties, that's fine, but it just didn't age as well for me because. It is a film that I think lacks focus, and what it is known for are the iconic beats. It's known for anytime Spicoli's on screen because he's funny. He's like a non-malicious uh, stoner that is just out to have a good time, and I really like that character. Like, I feel good about him. Um, I, I think, you know, it's known for these comedic moments, right? It's known for for these elements that are, are I think, too loosely tied together um, and and don't really hold up as a strong, coherent film. And so that's where I, it just feels age for me. Not to, to to mention the fact that the sex stuff, I, I don't know. I mean, you know me, Andy. I'm a big fan of the sex. And <laughs> I think when done right, it can be funny and fun. And uh, I, I think there are a lot of opportunities to do that. And I, this, for some reason, watching this movie felt straight up dated to me like you know the fact that it was dated by a woman is interesting to me because it she really tapped into the adult male's high school sex fantasy <laughs> like it just feels like in times weirdly sexist fantasy that that surprises me like i'm i didn't find any of the the sexual material as funny as i expected to and that's kind of what I was going on. I was going on with earlier because like my memory of it is was the the sex romps were going to be funny and I didn't I, they weren't. Well, and that's why I think that this movie is is better than than some people remember, because I, I don't think it's designed to be funny in relation to the sex type of story. I think it's yeah. it's supposed to be kind of serious. I mean, I don't this isn't a movie for for youth like no i I think that it's it's i mean it's definitely a rated r film yeah you're i mean there's full frontal nudity there's a lot of very strong conversations about a lot of these topics and i mean the first time that stacy sneaks out to have sex with this guy that she just she meets at the at the uh, pizza or the burger place that she's Mm -hmm. working like it is it is a gross dirty sexual encounter right like, yeah, yeah. it's in a baseball. Uh, well, I don't know what it is. I, my, my impression was it looked like a baseball dugout. Yeah, but it's, it's like, like a dugout. On the beach. <laughs> so it's like, is it a place that people just go sit on the beach when it's raining? Like, I wasn't sure what you it know, is. You know, it's that, it, you know, there's a lot of beach baseball. Don't you know? <laughs> Haven't you ever played? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly ball, what it felt baseball? like. But it's definitely something like that. And they go there and it looks cold. It's all grimy. There's like graffiti everywhere. The way that it's shot, it's like muted colors. She's looking Mm -hmm. up like you see her perspective. She's looking at like the dingy light that's flickering. She's looking at the graffiti of the surf Nazis that's written across the top of the thing. And Mike was here or whatever. Like all of these odd things that she's noticing as she's like losing her virginity. It just seems like. This is the sad reality that she is thinking that she needs to get into 
And it's like awful. And that's what I think the, the movie does so well because she has this experience. She has the experience with Damone later in their little kind of uh, pool house, I guess. And that also is completely unsatisfying because, you know, he instantly comes. It's like over in seconds. Yeah. And that's where she gets pregnant. <laughs> it's awful. And that's why I think this story, like when you have this actual story between her and Rat and this connection that they actually have and that th there's actually sympathy and they care about each other. Like that conversation with them outside of the, uh, the morgue where, you know, he's like, you know, comforting her after she's kind of like freaked out by how gross the whole thing is. And like, there's a connection there and they actually mm -hmm. do like each other. And, and like, you know, I, Amy Heckerling wasn't a big fan that Universal kind of forced those like end write up uh, bits on her, yeah. uh, but it was a big thing for Universal Films. They loved doing it at the time, and so there they were. And uh, but it was like it was really cute. I thought you know she and and Rat were together, and they still hadn't actually had sex. And it's like you know what, that's actually really cute the way that that story kind of uh, unfolds, and I, I liked that. And so, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the other big moment is of course brad's fantasy when he's totally fantasizing about uh about his sister's friend uh phoebe kate's character and and that whole thing and i, I think that's obviously that 80s boy fantasy um, yeah. but of course even that ends in a really awkward way as she you know interrupts him yeah. accidentally as he goes into the bathroom and and that's for me that's the comedy of that whole whole bit when she yeah. does that but uh i don't know i i, I feel like it's not designed to be something like I'm trying to think of some of the the obvious 80s comedies like Porky's, Porky's or right? Up the Creek, like mm -hmm. those sorts of things that just feel full on male gaze looking at hot women in bikinis. Oh, my bikini popped off yeah. like those sorts of things. Like there was a lot of that in the 80s. And I feel like there's some of that here, but I don't feel like it's digging into that as much and because I, I feel like they really are trying to take it seriously. Well, it's it's funny because I think we've we also have movies like I, I think a movie that would age better in that regard is like Revenge of the Nerds, right? I think Oof, Revenge, really, right? It, like I, you think it I ages like, better? Well, I don't know. It's been also been a long time since I've seen that one, but I feel like that one has. You should watch it again before you before I, I lay in on that comment. I and maybe I'll feel exactly the same way. I think a lot of these movies, I think, sacrifice um, the depth for to be in this category. Right. To to play in this category, because there is no place that suggests Fast Times or Richmond High is anything but cataloged with uh, uh, right next to Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds and Loose Screws and whatever. Like, um, you know, oh, here's here's another one that might be Risky Business. That's another one that I think probably ages better. So I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done a Tom Cruise watchathon in a long time. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like this one buries some of the opportunity for those heavier discussions in uh, a kind of sloppy, loose narrative. I totally see your point. And I don't want to hate on this movie uh, because I don't hate it. Like my experience, again, is it's it's generally OK, but I, I look at it. I just feel like it doesn't it doesn't achieve for me what it clearly achieves for you. So here's a question for you, because you've brought this up several times about kind of the story structure and how we're not really following one particular person obviously that is a uh, structure that has been used before sure. and after of this film is it just the fact that like we're not getting enough of any particular character like the, perhaps the fact that it's only a 90 minute film 
they could have actually fleshed out these stories a little more to kind of give you that or or possibly. What? But I think it goes back to the the fact that the movie is, again, tied together in beats. Every time I come back to a conversation uh, to, from a different from one character or character set to another, it feels like I'm just getting, again, this sort of slice of life, a uh, week in the life of uh, the American teen. And uh, I don't feel like I have any significant substance that continues to move a story forward beyond their initial drive to have sex, learn about sex, etc. And maybe that's enough. Maybe I'm the one who's projecting too much of needing to have somebody with a with with a real, you know, uh, drive for change or transformation over the course of the film. I don't necessarily see that. I think, you know, let's take Stacey in, in particular. I think she's wildly underwritten for the journey that she should be taking, that she's demonstrably taking by her actions. She is somebody who is, um, you know, it goes straight back to your point at the end. That title card carries way too much weight at the end of the movie for <laughs> a transformation that I don't feel like we ever see. I feel like we see this person who's written as, um, you know, she's a curious teen, becomes obsessed with having sex, learning sex. We get like three minutes of this abortion subplot. And then we're back into beats of conversation that don't carry enough actual movement in in the movie. I think you could say that about, or at least I would say that about everybody. I think Spicoli, Sean Penn gets top billing in this movie. And that's difficult to swallow because he's not a principal character in this movie. Well, okay, so now this is a really interesting point that I think works definitely in your favor with the way that you feel about this film. In listening to conversations uh, with uh, Amy Heckerling, Cameron Crowe, some of the producers, the people behind the movie and some of the behind the scenes making ofs, commentary, things like that, the way that they're describing getting the film going, Spicoli was the lead. And they were saying, you know, we have to make sure we cast him right because everything else will fall in place around him that struck me strange because i you know after i had rewatched the film and i was watching all of this i'm like they thought spicoli was the lead <laughs> because he's he's not i mean he's a, an essential character but he's definitely like a b story thread that we have going on here for me it 100 was stacy that we were following like she's the one who has like this emotional journey this this real character arc over the course of the story more so than the others. And I really, I connected with her story. She felt like the, the, the lead. If I were to say somebody was the lead of one of these stories that's following a bunch of characters, um, kind of, I, I don't know, Magnolia is the one that keeps going, popping mm -hmm. into my head, but you know, that sort of story where we're following a bunch of people. I feel like she's our primary character. And perhaps the issue that you're feeling so strongly with the way that the film just isn't clicking completely for you is because it seemed like the filmmakers thought Spicoli was the lead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that could very well be a part of it. Um, you know, is it the promise that they make by putting, you know, Sean Penn as the first build name on screen? Um, you know, maybe uh, that he's the first build name on screen and we don't see him for 10 minutes. Maybe um, it, it is. Uh, it, it's strange because his entree into the film as he, you know, falls out of the van and goes to class with Mr. Hand is funny. And that seems like all we get from him is relationships with Mr. Hand and a sports cast fever dream that I think is is really great. 
<laughs> it is. Uh, but it, I mean, it's an interesting relationship, actually, I felt between student and teacher because yeah. Mr. Hand largely seems like the sort of teacher no one would ever want to have. Hey, may I come in? Oh, please. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh, ring and all my kids are not here. Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule is totally confusing. Yeah, I know that, dude. Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. You're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick! But in the end, I actually felt like there was actually an interesting development over the course of their relationship as we get to that final scene between the two of them as Mr. Hand shows up at Spicoli's house in yeah. his room to basically Quiz him. go through all yeah the school <laughs> stuff with him for, uh, as he said, eight hours. Certainly didn't seem yeah. like it was going to be that long, but it was an interesting relationship. And actually, for me, I, I enjoyed the way that that resolved that relationship. But I totally get what you're saying. It's like, is there going to be more to this? Because it seemed like a, a strange thing to focus on that didn't quite carry the weight that perhaps we were wanting it to. Yeah, yeah. So Judge Reinhold is another one of those characters that I, I really like the part. I, I see these two as sort of parallel characters a little bit because Judge Reinhold, we're supposed to have this view of who he is, right? And it never quite locks for me either. And I don't know if it's because I've seen him more frequently in my, you know, experience with um, Beverly Hills Cop. And yep. he's kind of more of a doofus. He, he's got this sort of roller coaster of part of, of, uh, presentation in this movie. He opens and he's got the coolest car and he's got the letter jacket and everybody thinks he's cool. He can get guys jobs. It, it's kind of a feigned coolness, though, because really he does occasionally have to go to work in a dumb uniform, like Long John Silver uniform. Well, that's like after he's been fired. Yeah, right? after now he's, he's been at a, fired. Now he's at a crappier, like he keeps going down job wise. Yeah. He keeps falling. I really like that sequence when he's accosted by the the businessman who says the this this breakfast was guaranteed and I want my two dollars back. Right. Like, I think that was <laughs> I think that was really funny, but I it never quite locks for me that I just don't ever quite feel at home with Judge Reinhold in this part, even though I, I really, really like him as a as an actor is it because he seemed older yeah well this is kind of that movie right i mean it's one of those movies where adults are in high school <laughs> and there we've got a long history of adults in high school movies but he is definitely the one who stands out the most for me he's one of the oldest i think was he 46 <laughs> <laughs> uh but i i mean they did like phoebe cates and nicholas cage were actually I think that they said those were the two who actually were teenagers. Yeah, Phoebe Cates was 19. Yeah. And uh, and, uh, and actually, Jennifer Jason Lee was 20. So she's right, barely, she was 20. barely right. a teenager. Exactly. I don't know. But she Nicholas looks Cage. like I felt oh. Jennifer Jason Lee. I'm like, is she actually 15? Yeah, like, she, she looks 15, 15 in this. 100%. She so, so little. She looks 22 now. So, I mean, really, yeah, right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scale. <laughs> yeah, right. But going back to Judge Reinhold, I mean, this was this period, though, like I, I felt like he was one of those people that just was everywhere in the 80s. I mean, we've talked about him in Stripes, which mm -hmm. came before this. And then there's this we, Gremlins we've talked about afterward, Beverly Hills Cop we've talked about. And then he was like in 
Ruthless People, Beverly Hills Cop 2, vice versa. I mean, which was, you know, that was about a point where it's like, it's not quite big. Sorry. You know, he didn't, he couldn't quite get the lead from there moving forward. And I don't think that his 90s were as good for him. But I felt like the 80s, that was a, definitely a strong period for him. And because of stuff like this, like I thought, I thought he was great. And I think that he, he carries it well. And when he's in those scenes, like the fantasy about Linda, like that scene actually plays really well. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I bought into him, even though he seemed older. And same thing with Damone, who also seemed like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. As I looked at Damone, I'm like, is he the one who keeps flunking? And so he's like actually 22 in high school? Like, cause he just seemed so much older. But anyway, I, 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 I actually really enjoyed their performances. I, I think I'm, I want to retract one point. I think of Judge Reinhold's part. Uh, of his character, you're right. That one actually feels the most satisfyingly linear to me in this comedy. Every time we come back to him, there is another stage of his fall from grace. And <laughs> I find that appealing in this movie. That's that is a great that's a great and astute point. A fall from grace, which ends up redemptive, right? Yeah, he's got right. he stops the person who's robbing him. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is yeah. which was a funny bit like that. It is that works. It is great. And I really loved how that also like tied Spicoli into that particular moment. I know <laughs> the two of them seemed, you know, they have their moment at the beginning when Brad is like reprimanding them for not following the rules, not we're not wearing their shirts, which for me, it was also really strange. Like they come into the restaurant and that's when they take their yeah. shirts off. Like, oh, now we're here. Let's take our shirts right. off. I'm like, so strange. But yeah. So uh, Robert Romanus says uh, Mike Damone was 24. It looks like uh, yeah. when he did this movie, so that's that's why he looked old. Uh, Judge Reinhold <laughs> was twenty five, no, twenty three. Looks like so. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a reason Damone looked older because he really, really was. He sure sounded older. He definitely did. Didn't sound like he he belonged in high school at all. Uh, no. So I don't know where I saw him more. I, I know he had been in a lot of TV shows that I watched when I was younger, like Fame and The Facts mm -hmm. of Life. Um, he had some kind of recurring parts in some of those sorts of shows, but I don't feel like he's one of those actors that I saw much afterward. I mean, he's been nonstop busy. I mean, he's super, super busy with his career, but I just, I feel like he was always like one of those TV actors, you know, in just those little kind of bit parts that would pop up in shows I watched. He is in a movie coming up called Genesis, The Future of Mankind is Woman about the first female to be pregnant by Parthenogenesis with Meredith Baxter. What? Wow. Meredith Baxter. It's highly unlikely I'm going to miss this movie, but <laughs> I just love the fact that it, it exists. It's highly Whatever. unlikely. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I, I'm going to miss this movie. So I, it's this, highly this, likely. That that's right. Didn't I say that? I said highly said likely unlikely. I'm going to miss this movie. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to see this movie. And yeah. so uh, that's a thing. But, you know, I remember being shocked. It actually brings it back. I'm looking at his credits right now. I, you know, I'm a big fan of CSI, the crime scene investigation. Oh, who are sure. you? Who, 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 who? He was, I remember seeing him in this. He was in an episode in 2014. And uh, I remember it's one of those, I know that face experiences because he hasn't, you know, he's older, but you can still tell it's him. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think about uh, Heckerling as the director here? I mean, this is part of our Heckerling and Coolidge series. It sure is. The problems that I have with the movie that, that I don't connect with uh, largely 
can be saddled on my disconnect with the direction of it, right? The, with the sense and sensibility of the film. Uh, but there is no doubt that she is a, like, this was a, a film that helped cement her uh, as somebody worth watching. It wasn't, I mean, we'll hear when you talk about the numbers, uh, obviously it it is what it is. It's no look who's talking, but it certainly is why there's a look who's talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think she's an able director. I think there are some things in here that I found were perhaps misses editorially, some cutaways for punchlines that didn't work for me that I felt could have been a little bit more natural that took me out of the sequence of humor, particularly cutaways to the younger siblings that where the jokes just didn't quite work or in the banana or the carrot blowjob scene. There is this cutaway that goes back to, hey, get a load of this. And you've got this table of prepubescent boys who are all watching these girls teach each other how to give uh, oral sex to carrots. And uh, I felt like some of the timing was just, it just didn't land for me as well as I wanted it to. And I thought, what, what is it? What is wrong with that? Is that, is that a direction? Is that just not catching the, catching it in the edit? Uh, I, I just felt like, you know, hindsight is what it is, but I, there, there were some issues there, but I thought it was a, a great, uh, there are some really wonderful long, like walkthroughs. The opening credits scene, I think is really great. A lot of bullying in this high school, but you know, I think the tour. <laughs> it was of, the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it was the eighties. Uh, the tour of high school was really great. Like, I think it's yeah. a, it was a great way to bring us into Ridgemont High and, and was very, very effective. I thought she did the montages really well as far as Truly. setting the world, both yeah. the mall, the school. Like, I, I felt like I knew these places because she just captured it so well with some of the things that she chose to, to film. So I, mm -hmm. I enjoyed all of that. I, I loved the music. Like, Amy uh. Heckerling has always been somebody who loves music she was a little upset with her producer that her producer required her to put in a lot of more of the kind of the pop rock sorts of songs that she's not as much a fan of she's definitely more of a punk person but she did manage to get oingo boingo in the go-go's led zeppelin which actually that came from cameron crow because you know they notoriously don't let anyone yeah. use their music but because he had interviewed them as we mentioned earlier yeah. they did let uh, let them use one of their songs although it's interesting He's talking about in that particular scene, they're talking about Led Zeppelin 4, and they couldn't actually, because of some licensing issues, they could not get a song from Led Zeppelin 4, so they had to play a different song. But <laughs> one of those weird little you yeah. know, licensing quirks. But yeah. I love the music generally over the course of this film, and there's a lot. It's like 24 songs that are credited. Um, no score. Apparently, they had an issue with the composer who didn't deliver anything, so... They just did wall-to-wall -wall songs, which I thought actually worked even better because it just felt so much a part of this world. Well, and the soundtrack that was released was incomplete. Like you say, 24 yeah. songs. You're absolutely right. There, there were a lot of songs on here. But, you know, this this soundtrack made me really grateful for the times we are living in, Andy, because, you know, if you subscribe to Spotify or Apple Music or one of these big services, there are people who have meticulously built playlists that make up all of these songs that were used in these great movies and the fact that we can go and and get access to all these musics put them in a playlist as in in you know movie order i think is is a real gift this is one of them the soundtrack or the soundtrack playlist is great it is just great and very grateful that that we can do that now do you have a particular favorite i think american girl is the one that that gets stuck in my head the most 
it's yeah. it's the the one that I'll be singing by the end of the movie again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I love Oingo Boingo in there. Like, oh man, yeah, goodbye, goodbye was a fantastic track. So to end great, with. so yeah. so great. So and I, actually, I the Go Go song at the open. I mean, yeah. that was like that really set the stage well for me. Yeah, I think so too. The uh. I, this movie, I mean, you talk about Cameron Crowe and Amy Heckerling. This is as much uh, a journey through, you know, 80s teendom as it is a journey through 80s, you know, great 80s, late 70s, early 80s music. Like, yeah. it is a love story for for music. Well, and they, I, I loved how, you know, there were, there were a lot of songs that they wanted to get, but the producers didn't want them to put it on there, or they just, it was expensive or whatever. I loved how what they did instead is they used a lot of opportunities to put like posters up in all the kids' rooms of all the different other people that they wanted. Like Elvis Costello's in there. You got the Who, these different groups that are on the walls of some of the kids. And I'm yeah. like, that's a great way to make sure that it's still included, even though you can't get the music for, totally. for whatever reason. You brought up the whole thing with the carrots and kind of the practicing of the blowjobs and stuff. Were you, it, you weren't as much a fan of that? It, did you say it was because you didn't, there was no comedy in it? Yeah, I I guess I I felt like it was uh I don't know, maybe I'm changing my tune after this conversation a little bit on it because I get what you're talking about, right? And I get thematically this is an exploration of teens who really, I mean, they got to learn somewhere. And I I imagine there are a lot of us who when we were this age had, you know, a a Tony Marzavis who we had to ask questions to and would tell us, you know, the Phoebe Cates role. Like they they would tell us things that weren't probably 100% accurate, but there was enough of a nugget of truth in there that we could we could learn and explore uh, you know, in ways where there might have been shame to talk to an adult about these things. Like this that feels legitimate to me that experience. I felt like it was uh, a, a bit much having them have that conversation the way they were having it as like practically out in the open, no big deal, where everybody could oogle them from the room. I felt like that's a thing that is dated for me because I think I just don't believe it. I believe that there are ways to get comedy in a way that might have been blocked a little bit more uh, authentically. And so yeah. I I just, uh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get it. Variables that I might not be good at. Like what variables? Like, you know, giving blowjobs. What's the big deal? I never did it. You've never given a blowjob? Never? Stace, there's nothing to it. It's so easy. Come on, gotta check it out. Relax your throat muscles. Don't bite. <laughs> and slide it in. Try it again. Good. <laughs> Slowly, in and out. You got it. Okay. Can I ask you something and you promise not to laugh? Sure. Okay. When a guy has an orgasm, how much comes out? Quarter or so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just practice. I guess I didn't really have a, that problem with it. The thing that I thought was interesting, though, is that 
it did feel very matter of fact. Like it just felt like they were just there doing it. Yeah. And, and Amy Heckerling actually said that one of the producers was pushing her to make it more sensual, like, you know, close up shots of their lips wrapping yeah. around the carrots and all this Ugh. sort of nonsense. I actually really appreciated the way, and yes, there may be those issues like, why are they doing it out in public in this school cafeteria yeah. like this? But I really appreciate the fact that she just made it seem like a conversation between two girls. Like, it didn't seem like it had to be shot. Like, it, like hearing that, I'm like, oh, that's the male gaze. Like, that's this male producer pushing, you know, his worldview on how this should be shot. And I really mm -hmm. am glad that Heckerling did not go that route. I am too. Absolutely. I mean, I guess on the spectrum of things that could be funny slash, you know, uh, progressive, where yeah. she landed is is fine. Is she, It's fine. Um, yeah. And so I. Yeah, but I see your I, point. I think what I'm coming to is like pick a lane. You know what I mean? Like there is a way to make that a, a meaningful kind of impactful, funny between the two of them experience and the male gaze part doesn't have to be there that's the part that feels dated to me it feels like man 15 year old me thought this was hysterical and also <laughs> um you know maybe that's maybe that's its biggest problem i also it was interesting there you know we do have the full frontal nudity of Damone yeah. as they're getting ready to have sex and then you know we do have full nudity of of stacy's character although she's kind of on her side but that was a really interesting and contentious bit that Heckerling had with the ratings board because, you know, they shot, apparently there was more of it, but they had to cut out of it pretty quick because the ratings board had a real problem that you had male frontal nudity. And Amy was like, well, you know, we, so we can show a full frontal female nude, but not a male. And this is what they said. They said, the male organ is aggressive. <laughs> that was the ratings board stance on why male full frontal nudity was not acceptable. My God, man, isn't that exactly Kristen Wiig's line in Bridesmaids when she is? <laughs> I think she said when she does her imitation of the penis and she closes one eye and leans forward. <laughs> I think that is I think that's what she said. It's so aggressive. I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, that yeah. is really funny. That is really funny. Well, I think that speaks to kind of the the way that these ratings boards would view things and yeah. so much of it from the male gaze. The fact that probably I'm assuming that the ratings board probably was largely male. I don't know. But regardless, it just the fact that that was the view, I, I think that speaks so much to uh, just kind of the way that things were being made. You know, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. She's, it's fascinating to the point of like the, kind of that seriousness of the story i i felt like i mean i know you said that the abortion scene is is dealt with in a very short only three minutes of screen time but i actually really enjoyed that the way that we build up to that like the conversation that stacy has with damone outside on the on the track uh it's it's kind of a a, a moment that i'm like you know there's actually some power here like it, it they it's very matter of fact they have this conversation. He's, of course, the denier, doesn't believe it. But then he's like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll help you out with that. And I actually liked how we see him actually trying to be the guy who's going to raise the money and help out only to have it completely backfire. And then he becomes the loser, which was an interesting arc for him. What did you think of that sequence? I, you know, I, I. I stand by my earlier point. I think the the challenge with this sequence is not the sequence as it is as, as it is presented. Uh, it is the fact that most of the of the l plot line around this 
beat is him trying to get the money and not like, man, it gets just waved out of the film uh, after this little beat. And this is probably the most important consequence that any of these kids could possibly face by their activities in the film. Let's take a listen. Can I talk to you for a sec? Well, now, St- Stacy, I'm doing business. Call me tonight, all right? No, I, I gotta talk to you now. Okay. Don't go away. Look at him. I hope this is important, you know, because I could be blowing a big deal. Mike, I just... I just want you to know that I'm pregnant. How do you know it's mine? I mean, we only did it once. I haven't been with anybody else. I know it's yours. Jesus. I mean, it was your idea. You wanted to do it. I. You wanted it more than I did. No. Take that back. All right, all right. Take it back. Look, we got to do something about it. I mean, uh, we got to get an abortion. My brother Art got his girlfriend one once. It's simple. I mean, it's no big deal. Yeah. I, I got that plan. Um, it's going to cost $150 at the free clinic. Doesn't sound free to me. <laughs> I suppose you want me to pay for it. Half, okay? And a ride to the clinic? $75 and a ride. You wrote this note, this tie-in to Mean Streets. She was, it, what did she say in the commentary about that? Well, it was just an interesting little side note that something that she felt uh, captured so much of the world in Mean Streets was at the end when you just see everything kind of closing. You, at the end of the film, you see all the shops closing. And so she actually, that became kind of an influence for her here at the end of this film where, you know, you see the mall closing, you see Brad closing up the the. Uh, gas station that he's working at like everybody's kind of closing and it's night and things are over and it's just it's just kind of like as as fast as things can be at times mm-hmm. there's this shutdown period and and i i think that it was just something that she was taking because mean streets is a fairly i mean it's a pretty aggressive you know intense film that yeah. scorsese directed and so i thought that was actually kind of an interesting element from that film to bring into this film that i don't think you necessarily read right away but you know it as you watch the credits and you see that kind of things closing yeah it does feel like i'm breathing out well and it goes exactly to your point about or to you know as we're talking about heckerling as a director like that is a nuanced bit of filmmaking that it that adjusts this film for pace and does it lets us breathe and it reminds us that as there was a beginning this frenetic you know long cuts through this crazy high school there is an ending and yeah. uh it, it it does give us just just a nudge of that storybook quality yeah yeah look at the film i think is is generally great it feels i as much as i tend to bag on the 80s um it i i have to admit wink of nostalgia bubbled up for me with this movie and i think it's going to be happening more and more uh as we get through this series those popped collars are so stupid. <laughs> Pop but, collars, Jordache jeans. Yeah, Jordache oh jeans. God. I did find myself thinking, oh, yeah, I was there for this. I yeah. was there for yep. this. Yeah. But <laughs> I, it was, it, it is, it's a warm, I mean, what do you, what did you, how did you feel about that? Like, did this movie take you back to a particular pl- time and place? 
Oh, I mean, totally this, the same place. Now, I mean, I was in high school, uh, you know, a little after this film came out. Sure. But it still brings me back to the 80s because it was still 80s when I was uh, starting high school. And it, it, there's definitely this feel of this world that, you know, the way that people did their hair, just the look, the malls. I was I don't know about you, but malls like seeing a movie with a multi-story mall like would have blown my mind at this oh, time. Oh, yeah. Like we had like it was a one story place. Like I don't, I don't think I even knew that a multi-store mall was a thing until much later in my life. So I don't know how closed off I was in my own little world, but it just like, I, but it did make me wonder, like, I wonder when multi-story malls really started. I mean, obviously they were around this point in time yeah. and obviously it was California, but. Well, we definitely had them in Colorado Springs. I mean, we had like Chapel Hills mall and the Citadel mall. And I mean, those were our malls. And I remember when they were built because my experience of going to a movie theater and having to ride an escalator to get there was crazy to me. Like you park yeah. in one place and walk in and get on an escalator. And when you get to the top, there's the ticket booth. And that was crazy because I was yeah. used to, you know, the street side cinema. And so like that experience, I think, is is actually I think they they got that right. Oh, yeah. You know, it just no. feels very much of a time. And uh, it's of a time in a way that that it, it feels very real, I think, because the movie is made, you know, in the period. It's not looking back on and trying to be nostalgic. It's nostalgic because that's what we looked like. Sure, it's well, the extremes yeah. uh, of those, but it, it's what we were doing. I mean, I, by the time you say high school, like, you're right, we were in high school a little bit later. But for me, it had transitioned. I, I made it through popped collars of middle school. And transition to oversized, like button down oh, shirts, braided yeah. leather belts, and pegged jeans. Man, that was pegged real. Jeans, pegged, pegged jeans, way jeans. too much hair. Ugh. mullets were actually a thing too. Dude, I don't know why I, that I ever went, was a thing. Did you Oof. mullet? Did you mullet? I totally. Everyone was mulleting. Oh, I didn't mullet. I didn't <sighs> mullet, but I did have very large hair. I have very full yeah. hair when I let it grow out. And so <laughs> at, at my yeah. senior year, I went full flock of seagulls. Like they literally oh, just wow. took my hair up in the thing, wet shaved all the way around. And I had this weird Fido Dido thing flopping around uh, <laughs> on the top that, that was, if, if properly gelled, could flock of seagulls completely. Yeah. So this was, I mean, you know, lived experience. There, that's another reason this movie kind of gives me a, a, a just sort of a, a warm fuzzy. There are 80s films that film that the exact same stuff that feel dated. And that's yeah. what's so interesting about this, because like it comes across as so real. And I think that's just because these characters end up feeling like they're really living it. It's yeah. not trying to be ironic about it or anything. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There, There is very little irony in this movie. It's like the movie yeah. has other stuff that that's going on that it doesn't it doesn't have to suffer much time for irony. I felt the same thing when I saw Rat wearing the Popeye T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> he totally is into that. I 100 yeah. percent believe that. Yep. Like there's nothing ironic about this. He just <laughs> exactly loves right. Popeye. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. I do want to make sure that I, I name drop Nicolas Cage, uh, if only because we get back to back Nicolas Cage vehicles in this series. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. It was funny because Heckerling was talking about how he would, I mean, because his part is, a, you know, I mean, he's a friend of Brad's, right? Yeah. He's not even really a character. He had seen some of the other actors like Sean Penn doing like uh, kind of improv sorts of things on set. And so he would try to do these things and it just was too big. And she's just like, 
settle down, settle down. You don't need to be doing this. You know, you're just this, this bit player. And then she saw Valley Girl the next year, and she's like, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should have let him do some of those things. <laughs> I missed it. I <laughs> right. missed it. Uh, it was fun. It, it took me a little bit to to realize that we were looking at 18-year-old Nicolas Cage putting the, you know, the sticker on the back of the guy in the opening credits and kind of wandering yeah. through the background. Uh, that was that was super fun. It is fun to see him. So such a baby face, baby oh, face, little Nicholas Cage. Yeah. I know. Still All of them there. are baby face. I mean, Anthony Edwards, uh, you've got Eric uh, Stoltz, Eric Stoltz, Eric right. Stoltz. And what's really funny is uh, look, when you search for the trailer uh, of this movie, like the, the YouTube uh, trailer, for some reason, somebody thought that SEO, I guess, would be um, well positioned by saying fast times at Ridgemont High, Eric Stoltz movie. <laughs> Eric Stoltz is as much of a headliner as anybody else in this movie, I guess. So but it funny. was fun to see to yeah. see him. And Even those, Forrest Whitaker, Forrest yeah. Whitaker's uh, you know the big football player, and it was like uh, you know early. I think this was his first film. Yeah, it's just it's so fun to see all of these faces so young, so early in their careers. So we talked about uh, Cameron Crowe going undercover in high school, which is awesome. Uh, it is. What else? What else do we need to talk about getting it made? Well, I just thought it was really interesting that when they were trying to figure out who was going to make this film, they actually, believe it or not, sent the script to David Lynch. Apparently, they thought, uh, you know, some of them were big fans of Eraserhead, and they thought, oh, he would be a really interesting director of of this, you know, tapping into kind of this youth mindset. Um, he actually read the script and said he liked it, but he said it's not really what he saw himself doing. And, but I'm like, wow, that would have been a really interesting vision of this young high school world to see David Lynch directing this. You could kind of see this high school blue velvet experience. Do you get yeah. me? Like, I really feel it. <laughs> I can really feel it. There would definitely be an underbelly of darkness going on yeah. in that high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess it was Amy Heckerling. She, uh, she had done a short film called Getting It Over With, which I looked. I've poked around on the internet. I cannot find anywhere. Maybe it exists somewhere, but I haven't seen it. Um, but that short film is what won them over and uh, brought her on. They still kind of felt like unsure, like the studio is like, it's supposed to be funny. And there's all this stuff with girls crying and stuff. What's going on? And they actually sent John Landis to set to watch some of the scenes, um, getting shot to film it. And he's just like, you know, it's fine. Leave her be. She's totally fine. So luckily, uh, John Landis was on her side. Yeah. Oh, John Landis, John Landis. He's a real mensch. <laughs> all right all right we're, we're gonna be right back we've got we we're gonna talk about awards you don't want to miss andy's running the numbers and of course all of our final ratings and reviews but first we've got some credits the next reel is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson music by am beef oriole novella and eli catlin Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for our show. Andy, I didn't even know that this had a television show. But not only that, it's a television show with people that I know. And it's it's one of those where I think I did know it. And actually, and this speaks to me and the, this my the way that I 
you know, came to this film. I think I knew about the TV show before I knew about the movie. Seriously? That's how, that's how repressed I was as a child. <laughs> oh my gosh. Andy. <laughs> I never watched the TV show, but yeah. The cast is crazy. Uh, you know, in terms of just young people who, uh, like, get are getting their start, 1986, uh, Courtney Thorne-Smith was in it, James Nardini, Dean Cameron, Patrick Dempsey, a young McDreamy, uh, was in this. And he played Damone. Yeah, he, he played, played Damone. Damone. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was, that's really uh, fascinating. Wallace Langham uh, it was in it as, as Ratner, and what an incredible get, Wallace Langham. And I don't need to tell you, Wallace Langham was in CSI. You know how much I love my CSI, Andy. <laughs> Jeez. Let's not forget Moon Unit Zappa. Moon Unit Zappa was That's in right. this. Yeah, yeah, no, that was and, great. And Ray Walston and uh, Vincent Scavelli returned as two of the yeah. teachers, Mr. Vargas and Mr. Hand. Which uh, is, uh, that it was all great. Uh, I have not seen a single episode, and I'm okay not seeing a single episode, but <laughs> I'm I'm glad that it exists. Yes, yes. It only had one season. It was not Something yeah. that uh, drew people in, I guess. Very short-lived show. How did you do it award season? Uh, you know, it wasn't the thing that was being pushed. It wasn't the thing that people were uh, drawn to for awards. At the WGA, uh, Cameron Crowe did get nominated for Best Comedy ad- Adapted from Another Medium or from his own book. He lost to Blake Edwards for Victor Victoria. And then, of course, in 2005, because this film is something that has lasted the test of time, the National Film Preservation Board, they did add it to the National Film Registry and the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So obviously there is some feel that this film does represent something, and so it is on that. And that's, I guess, in context of a win, that would be the only thing that it won. Uh, okay. You think they watched it before they did that? Hey, now. <laughs> I had to do with the box office. Well, Heckerling had $5 million to spend on this movie, which was about $13.1 million in today's dollars. That's a pretty strong budget for your first feature, really. This movie did open a limited run starting August 13th, 1982, opposite Friday the 13th Part 3, and the Star Wars re-release. This opened in 7th, and it never really got higher than 3rd place, but it stayed in the top 10 for 10 full weeks and did stay in theaters for another 10 weeks. The film ended up grossing $27.1 million, which is $71.8 million in today's dollars, so it made a handsome return, earning an adjusted profit per finished minute of $650,000. But perhaps the lasting quality of the story itself is why the National Film Registry added it. And Criterion Collection, you know, it's in there now, so it certainly is something that has stuck around for people. Did you watch the Criterion Collection version of this movie? Is that what you saw? I did, I did. I did. You know, they actually also include the TV edit, which is actually longer. There's some additional scenes that didn't make it into the, the theatrical cut. I didn't end up being able to watch it, but I'm really curious because that is my first experience with this film is I, again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did see some of the TV edit of it. So I'm really curious to kind of look at it again. Yeah. That's uh, fascinating. I just, I watched the, you know, I, I got it through the Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, and it was, as I remember it, that was my cut. Uh, I, you know, I think this is a, it's, I think our conversation has improved my opinion of it. Not a lot, but enough. I think you did, you did the yeoman's work of, of helping to ground me in this movie, Andy. I'm, I'm proud of you. It's a film that I really feel 
is going to be something that I will continue to return to because I felt like I got a lot out of this story with these these youths you know, kind of starting to experience grown up life. I, mm-hmm. I really connected with it. One of the one of the reviews from our community has, uh, said uh, this movie makes me feel like a dirty old man as I watch these young kids and all of the <laughs> sex stuff. Did you at any point feel like a dirty old man? No, although it's interesting because Roger Ebert certainly felt that way when he reviewed it. Like he really yeah, he hated was it. against this film. He said it was a scuzz pit of a movie. <laughs> like he really hated it. Was very upset with what they did with like with Jennifer Jason Lee's character. And what was interesting yeah. is Jennifer Jason Lee, she actually, and this seems fitting with kind of knowing the path of her career, she really was pushing them to make it even even stronger (laughs) like she really was like no no let's really do this (laughs) that that sets up but you know i after reading ebert's review may he rest in peace it's not like he writes that review from the perspective of somebody who you know is is in any way sort of prudish that guy's kind of thirsty for jennifer jason lee like he likes her, like maybe like likes her. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of hard to read. I think he should have a he should have some sort of a, a like a mature rating on the review. He likes her so much. He commented at one point about Emma Watson in one of his Harry Potter reviews that yeah. made me like you know raise an eyebrow, going, "Roger, what are, are you, you sure you want to say that? What Roger? are you saying here, yeah, Roger?" So yeah, uh, there's definitely some of that. I didn't necessarily feel that way, but I because I think for me, I didn't feel like I was a dirty old man, but I felt like this captured some of my uh, mindset when I was young. So yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's that was more where I went to. I, I think if anyone identified, I identified with the most, it was probably Rat because that was probably like the closest to kind of the the kind of pathetic version I was when I was yep. in high school and and earlier. You nailed so, it for yeah. me too. Like not just you. I, we're, <laughs> okay. we're both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to come back and we're going to talk dive into our letterbox reviews. But first, uh, we, we've got to talk about what we're doing next week. This is 1983's Valley Girl from the great Martha Coolidge. Have you seen it? Great. Send us your thoughts in a 30 second audio clip and we just might get your review into the episode. Send your audio clip in an email to reviews the true story dot fm Sure. Besides, it's totally gnarly birth control. <laughs> I can't stand it. Okay, so he's awesome. <laughs> Valley girl. She's out there somewhere. This is the story of a boy from Hollywood who never dreamed the girl he'd want most was down here. I'll stop the world. Hello. Who invited you? Oh, wow, you mean you have to be invited? That explains it. What? Well, everyone is dressed for See, if I had been invited, I would have known this was a costume party. Right. <laughs> it's the story of a girl from the valley who never dreamed she'd ever be seen with a boy from over here. It's like I'm not getting out of this car. All right, but when they attack the car, save the radio. Randy's hot. She's from the valley. He's not. Valley girl. Okay, we have our letterbox to HQ. It's letterbox.com slash the next reel. Let's talk about our ratings of the film. How many stars did you give this film on Letterboxd? 
it has been for years rated two and a half stars by me at Letterboxd. I think I'm going to bump it up to three stars, Andy, because of you. Three stars. Three stars. stars. Hey, yeah, I'll, and I'll, give it, heart- I'll give it a heart for the pop collars. Oh, there you go. And there you belts. go. For me, um, this came, I, I probably, I didn't have it ranked. Um, or I had it on Flickchart, but I hadn't uh, watched it recently enough on Letterboxd to ever had it ranked. It probably, my memory probably would have put it in about that two and a half rank. Rewatch, this is a four star film for me. I just really connected with it. I really was very impressed with what Amy Heckerling did with Cameron Crowe's, uh, you know, words it just like i i loved this world uh absolutely something i'm going to return to so and then end up at a three and a half stars with a heart over in our hq over at letterbox.com slash the next reel uh great movie here we go we're we're deep in it andy 10th year 80s comedies uh we're off to the valley next week so what did you think about Fast Times at Ridgemont High? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord where we will be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andy. As Letterboxd. Always do it. Oh, my goodness. There are people who really feel like this is a movie about pedophilia, dirty old <laughs> men. Uh, it's uh, There are some rough reviews in here. I, I bring us a half star uh, from reviewer Dumb Bitch, otherwise known as Bill Hader's Whore. <laughs> if you want to follow, follow them on Letterboxd. Just because of their name. It. Uh, but but the reason I picked this one is because I, I have it as of right now. I've already watched both Valley Girl and the remake of Valley Girl. And the remake of Valley Girl is Dumb Bitch, otherwise known as Bill Hader's Whore's story. And I think it's fascinating. When we talk about it next week, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, this review says, here's another movie that my mom showed me from her teenage years that she loved. Maybe, di- maybe I'd have to grow up in this time period to appreciate this movie. And I love, have a lot of 80s pop culture and movies, but maybe just this isn't my thing. But I just don't get it. Maybe it isn't my type of humor, but quite literally, every time Sean Penn is on the screen, I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I feel like it's possible somebody read this review and then went and made the remake of Valley Girl to try to um, assuage these concerns. That's really funny. Yeah. I will definitely be thinking about that when I watch uh, the original, and then hopefully I'll yeah. get the remake watched as well. Very Lean curious. in, man. Yeah, it's cheeky. Well, I have a one star by Jacob R.F., who, you know, I think, Kind of uh, also, you know, there's a lot of people who's like, it's all pedophilia, it's gross. And then a lot of people have something that feels a lot like this. I'm not convinced this movie was about anything. It just kind of <laughs> happened for a while. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you that I'm also known as RF on Letterboxd. <laughs> Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.